Amen. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, and turn with me to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. I think this may be the uh, probably sixth or seventh week we have been in Colossians, and uh, this is probably going to be my favorite one out of all of them. Uh, we, we're going to, in the beginning, we're going to kind of review just a little bit of why he is writing the letter, and then when you will hear and see what he has said in the chapter and the parts that we're going to study tonight, it'll make more sense. So there's going to be a little review, and then we'll go forward. If you're glad to be saved, say amen. amen. All right, let's start. Let's start. Uh, the main outline is going to be from 15 to 19, but let's go back a little bit and read the verses from last week in, uh, uh, in verse number 12. In verse number 12. So if you found your spot, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be uh, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, in whom, talking about Jesus, right? Talking about Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, how many of y'all are glad you are forgiven? Amen. Who is, now we're still talking about Jesus here. We're still talking about Christ. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. How many things? All, All things were created by him and for him. and for him. And he is Jesus. Keep in mind, it's still Jesus. And he is before all things. And by him, Jesus, all things consist. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in how many things? All things. All things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. Hallelujah. Go right there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to be in your house uh, Lord, I thank you for everybody that's tuning in with us, everybody that's here in the building. Lord, it is a, it is a glorious day to worship you and learn about you and, and learn about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will touch every person here. Uh, Lord, most of them done worked hard all day, wore out, but they're here. And they came to receive a blessing, and I pray they will not be disappointed. I pray the word will not return void, but will accomplish what it set it forth to do. Lord, I pray that you'll bless all of our family in Fairview. I pray that you'll touch them and bless them, uh, help them to understand what we're preaching and teaching tonight. I pray as we all gather around your word that you'll fill us with your power. And we fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide every word, every sentence, every thought. I pray that I will not forget something I need to say. And I pray that I won't say anything I shouldn't say. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated at Fairview. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back and start in verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? Now keep in mind, we're talking about who? Jesus. The firstborn of every creature, for by him... I'm going to just put, I'm gonna, with, with all those, I'm going to just put Jesus right there, okay? So just, to, just to make it kind of pop out, okay? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. Jesus, by him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and by Jesus all things consist. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things Jesus might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus should all fullness dwell. 
Now, I don't know if you've caught on or not, but this is all about Jesus. Do you realize the whole Bible is about Jesus? The Old Testament speaks of Jesus coming. The New Testament in the beginning speaks Jesus has arrived. From Acts, he goes back to heaven. And from Acts to Revelation, Jesus is coming again. Amen? It's all about Jesus. The Bible is the treasure. Listen, Jesus is the treasure of the Bible. He's the truth of the Bible. He is the theme of the Bible. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, you know, the Word of God, the Word of God has two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he said, there, how many of y'all remember those view, uh, is it a viewfinder? Is that what them things are called, thing with a little click, a viewfinder? Is that what that is? Some of them young ain't going to know what I'm talking about. But how many of y'all remember them little discs you put in there? He said, the Bible is the same way. The Bible is a viewfinder. You look, you look through two different lenses, but you see one picture. He said, if you look through the lens of the Old Testament and you look through the lens of the New Testament, you're going to see one picture, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament is God drawing pictures and illustrations and, and showing you the coming of His Son. He is the fulfillment of everything that you see in the Old Testament. Now... Let's, let's do a little review. Let's do a little review because it's been a while since we uh, did the introduction and everything in Colossians and find out why Paul is writing what he's writing. Most of you remember Paul is under uh, uh, house arrest and, and, and he is here uh, 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 and, and, and he gets word about the church in Colossae. You remember, he's never been there. Uh, this was a, uh, an outreach of his ministry there in Ephesus. And, and so they come back, they come back and tell him what's going on, the heresies and the false doctrine and the false teaching is going on. So he's writing this letter to combat all of the false teaching going on in Colossae. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now, if you look at the top of your page, if you look at the top of your page, let's look at some of those false teachings. Uh, one was the, there was a requirement of deeper knowledge. In other words, you had to know Jesus, but you had to know some secret mysteries too. And it's, it's always funny that the secret mysteries can only be learned from the false teachers. Jesus is not enough. That's basically what they're saying. You got to know Jesus and some extra stuff. All right. Now, B, God was good, but matter was evil. So, so in this, Jesus could not be a man because a man is made of matter and all matter is evil. God is a spirit. He is good. All matter is evil. So Jesus could not be human. So what are they doing? They're taken away from the humanity of Christ. And, and we know that Jesus is human, so they're taken away from the deity of Christ. If they're saying that matter cannot be God because God is good and matter is evil, he is, it, they're taking away the deity of Christ. Can y'all see that? Say amen. All right, let's look at something else. Jesus was on this, only on the level of an angel. You see, what they were teaching is that there were different emanations that came from God. Different things that were created by God. And Jesus just happened to be one of them. And he happened to be on the level of angels. In other words, he was, he was, he was good. He was good, but he was on the same level as an angel. He wasn't no better, no worse. Uh, uh, he was a good person, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything. He was not God. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, so they're teaching that. What else are they teaching? Their teaching, and the basics of their teaching, denied the humanity of Christ, denied the deity of Christ, and more specifically, and, and, and this is the devastating part, denied the fit sufficiency of Christ for salvation. For salvation. And most, most every false doctrine, most every false doctrine, even the ones that try to try to claim a little bit of sense of Christianity, will always say, you got to have Christ and, and, and then they'll just give you something else you got to do. That's, that's, that's the works religion. That's the Judaizers. In other words, when we were going through the book of Acts, if you'll remember, everywhere Paul would go and he would preach the gospel and plant a church, you'd have a group of uh, Jews that came from Jerusalem and they would say, okay, now listen, just believing in Jesus is not enough. You got to be circumcised too. 
You, you, being a Christian is okay, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta uh, 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 convert to Judaism too. They mixed in some of the, the rules and the things and the ceremonies that you had to do with Judaism with Christianity. But let me tell you this. If it, any works are involved, it's not grace anymore. And there's only two religions in the world. There's only two. Y'all hear me? I know what you're thinking. No, 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 no. There's thousands and thousands. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's two. There's right and wrong. You can say that. There's absolute right and wrong. But more specifically, there's works and there's grace. And there's only one, there's only one religion in the world that's grace. And that's, listen, Christianity. And sound biblical teaching. It is not Christ plus anything. It is not Christ minus anything. It is Christ is everything. And so that's why he's writing this letter. That's why he's writing this letter. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at Jesus and his relation to several things here that we see in this particular portion of Scripture. Some, some, uh, Some Bible theologians believe that this was a hymn. That this was a song as they would read this and, and they would, they would, they believed that they would sing this in the, in the early churches there, which I think is pretty cool. Anytime you're bragging on Jesus and that's what it sounds like to me, that's a pretty good hymn. Amen. Uh, our, our, our hymn writing has kind of, kind of got off base lately in the modern day. It makes it more about us than it does about him, but it should never be about us. It's all about him. Amen. Now that's why they call it a hymn. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I don't know why they call it a hymn. That just sounded good. Amen. All right. Some of y'all need to loosen up. I know it's Wednesday, but you know, listen, we have flown. We flew to Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, just as, just as soon as church was over Tuesday, we had to rush to the airport and, and fly to Atlanta, fly to Minnesota, was in meetings, training pastors all day Monday, half a day Tuesday, Jump on, jump, jump, jump on the plane and fly back to Atlanta. Wait till we got home last night at eleven o'clock. And uh, and 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 I, man, I thank God for it. I want to testify. I forgot about it and tell y'all we've got a great group of pastors in that training center. Uh, we've got some from Ohio, some from Indiana, uh, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, uh, Washington, Washington D.C. They need Jesus. Say Amen. Uh, uh, Detroit and, and Minnesota. And so, and it went really good and I'm kind of tired and I know y'all kind of tired, but, uh, let's just get with this thing together tonight. Amen. Are y'all ready? All right. Let's write this down. Here's the first point. We're going to see first, we're going to see first Jesus in relation to God, Jesus in relation to God. All right. Keep in mind, keep in mind that they're teaching that Jesus was not God. Okay, that Jesus was from God. Jesus was created by God. Jesus was just an emanation from God. But we're going to see that Paul is going to teach us something different. Say amen. Amen. We see his relation to God first in his person. Who was he? Who was Jesus? Who was the one born in a manger in Bethlehem? Who was the one who was called Emmanuel, God with us. Say amen. amen. Who was he? Who was he in his person? What, what did Paul say? The Bible says in verse 15, who, talking about Jesus, who is the, what's that word? Amen. Say it again. Who is the amen. image? Everybody at Fairview, say it real loud. Who is the image of the invisible God? Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, According to Jesus, according to Jesus, when, when, when he was speaking to the woman at the well, do you remember what he said about God? He said, God is a spirit. Say that with me. God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. A spirit is like the wind. You can feel it, but you can't see it. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. It's invisible. God is invisible. No human eye has ever seen God. He is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But the day that Jesus came to this earth, the day that God's Son took upon human form, the invisible became visible. He is the image of the invisible God. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word, capital W, that's Jesus, that's the Son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, you say, well, how do you know, how do you know that was Jesus? Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14, John 1, 14. And the capital W, and the Word was made and and we beheld his glory. What glory? The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus, before he had human flesh, was called the Word. He always has been and always will be. He didn't begin to exist in the manger. He, he, listen, he existed in eternity past and in eternity future, eternity present. He always has been and always will be. Say amen. I got to get back in my circle. Amen. Sorry about that. Hey, I can't help it. I'm getting excited. You remember what Jesus said about Abraham? Remember what Jesus said about Abraham? They're telling, they're questioning him and his person and who he is. And this is what he said. Before Abraham was, what? I, I am. I am. Am. Not was. You say, what in the world? Imagine this. I wish I had my little chalkboard up here. I'd write on my chalkboard. Imagine, imagine a timeline. Okay? You have a timeline. All right? Here is such and such a date and such and such a date. And inside those dates is the timeline of Abraham's life. When Abraham was born and when Abraham died. He's inside the timeline. Can y'all use your imagination a minute? All right? I'd have this written down, but anyway, you can do it. Here's, here's, here's Abraham's timeline. Here's the timeline that we're just going to put out there. Theoretical timeline. Well, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, Abraham existed right here. I exist right here. I am before Abraham got here. I am while Abraham was here. And I am after Abraham is dead and gone. I was way before, I was there during, and I'll be there way after. I was there in eternity past, and I'll be there in eternity future. I am the ever-present one. That's why we can go to bed and lay our head on our pillow and rest like a baby because God is already in my tomorrow, and he already knows what's going to take place, and he's going before, preparing my way and blazing the trail to make sure I'll be okay. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Before Abraham was, I am. He is, talking about Jesus, he is the eternal God. He has not come from God. He is God. He is God. Look at this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God who at sundry times and divers manners, different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. We'll get to that in a minute. Who being, watch this now, who being the brightness of his glory. And watch this. And the express image of his... Are y'all with me? Express image means exact copy. Exact copy. Everything identically the same. Are y'all with me? Watch this. I love this part. I love this part. I, I, don't, I don't have it there. It's, it's going to be at the end of your, it's be at the end of your, uh, uh, your notes, but I'm going to skip ahead. You remember, you remember when they asked Jesus, they said, just show us the Father. It'll suffice us. Just show us the Father. Jesus said, what do you mean, show you the Father? Talking about God, God the Father. He said, if you've seen me, come on. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why can he say that? Because he's the express image. He is the exact copy. He is the image of the invisible God. Listen, before Jesus arrived, nobody could see God. God was invisible. God was a spirit. But he sent his son to take on human flesh 
so you could see and have a visible God. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. In Christ, in Christ, the invisible God became visible. Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is both the representation and manifestation of God. He is God in human flesh. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. That's the incarnation. He'll be called Emmanuel. God, say it with me, God with us. Hallelujah. So he is God. He is God, Paul says. In his relation to God, we see his person. Then B, we see his position. His rank, if you will. His position. Look what it says. Look what it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but he's also the firstborn of every creature. Now people misquote that and try to use that as he was a created being. But firstborn there is prototokos. It's not meaning chrono- chronological. It's meaning rank or order. In other words, the premier one, the number one, the highest in rank, if you will. So what Paul is explaining here is Jesus's position, his position. Now, watch what he says. Watch what he says. In, 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 in firstborn, it refers primarily to position or rank. In both Greek and Jewish culture, the firstborn, watch this now, the firstborn was the one who had the right of inheritance. The firstborn was the one who carried the authority of his father. It means highest in rank, not first in created order. Jesus is the one, hallelujah, Jesus is the one who has the right to inherit all creation. That's what that's meaning. Watch this, Hebrews 1, 3. God who at sundry times, we just read this a while ago, who in sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, watch now, whom he hath appointed, what's that word? Heir. Heir of all things. In other words, he's first in rank. He's first in position. Where we can really, where we can really see that is in Revelation. In Revelation. Man, Revelation is a cool book of the Bible to study. In Revelation, you'll find that there is a throne room scene. And in that throne room scene... There is a scroll, a sealed scroll in the hand of who sits on the throne. And there are little thrones around the main throne. And the Bible says that there are creatures around the throne who sing and and cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. There was a strong angel who proclaimed, Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who is worthy? In other words, who has the right to take the, the, basically that sealed scroll was the title deed to the earth. Who was worthy to take that deed and to open the seals thereof? Who, Who had the right to do it? Who was worthy to do it? Who was high enough in rank and order to take the title deed, the owner of everything? Who was worthy? And the Bible says there was no man found worthy, neither to open the book or to loose the seals thereof. And John wept much because no man was found worthy. But an angel touched him. Listen, or excuse me. I think one of the elders touched him and said, Weep not, for behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book thereof and to loose the seals thereof. And guess what? Jesus steps forward and he takes the seals and he begins to open them up. Why? Because he is highest in rank and order. He is the one who is the heir of all things. He is the one with the authority from the Father. He is the firstborn, the highest in rank, the highest in order, the only one who is worthy to take control and ownership of every part of creation. Say amen. Amen. He's the firstborn. And we're going to see that word again. We're going to see that word again toward the end. But does everybody understand that? 
It's not saying he was the first person born. Does everybody understand that? He's talking about rank. He's talking about order. Okay. Now let's move along. Let's move along. We, we got to hurry because I, I heard a lot of negativity that we wouldn't finish up again tonight. <clears throat> Number two, we not only see Jesus in relation to God. He is God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the highest rank in order. Bible says in verse 16, for by him, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. How many things? All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, here's what I want you to write down. We see Jesus in relation to the world. First of all, I want you to write this down. We see the reason for his authority. The reason for his authority. That's A. Look what it says. He's first in rank, first in order. We see that. We see that in verse 15. Verses 15, 16 begin to tell you why he's first in rank and first in order. Because, verse 16 says, For by him were all things created. Why does he have authority over this earth and all creation? Because he made it. The creator has authority and ownership of the creation. Are y'all with me? He, he made it. He created all things. Now watch. Watch this. John 1, 1. You remember? We read this a while ago. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so Jesus is God. Not only is, is He God... But the Bible says in verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus made it. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, God who at sundry times, we read this a while ago. God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, watch this, by whom also he made the world. He made the world. So why is he highest in rank, first in authority, first in priority, the preeminent one? Because he made everything. He made everything. He's the creator. He's the creator. He's the potter. We're the clay, right? Now, now watch this. Not only, not only... Does he have the right to have the authority because he made it? But verse 17, because he maintains it. This is big. This is really big. He maintains it. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Watch this now. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. Now see, that's, a, that's another dig. That's another dig at those false teachers. Because they're trying to say he was a created being. And Paul is saying he was before creation. Did y'all see that? Now watch what else it says. It says, not only is he before all things, but by him all things consist. Consist. In other words... He's keeping all this thing together. By Jesus, by Jesus, the sun's burning at just the right temperature to keep us alive. By Jesus, this earth is spinning just fast enough that we don't get squashed to it or fly off of it. By Jesus, the atmosphere has just enough oxygen so we can survive. By him, all things consist, exist, make it. Now, I'm, I'm going to put something on you. I'm going to put something on you. Now, this is, a, this is a cool deal. I'm telling you, this is a cool deal when you see this. 
In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding, upholding all things, that means holding together. Say that with me. Say it again. Holding together. together. That's going to make sense in a minute. Holding together. How many things? Say it again. One more time. All All right. All right. By the word of his. So Jesus is holding all things together. Can y'all see that? Watch this here. Watch this here. We're going to come back to that. Watch this here. Acts 17, 28. For in him, talking about Jesus, for in him we, we live and, and move and have our... Now, the word being there means existence. We have our existence in him. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't exist. Thank you. Do y'all see that? If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't exist. If it wasn't for Jesus, all of this wouldn't hold together. And I got science for it. Let me say it again so it gets in your head before I read this. If it wasn't for Jesus, all of this wouldn't hold together. And I'm using that term on purpose. All that you see, look around you, all that you see, all this matter, the concrete and the carpet and, and, and flesh, everything, all matter that you see is being held together by Jesus. Now, scientists know it, but they don't realize it's him. They call it a mystery. Let me read. Watch this. In his book, The Adam Speaks, in his book, The Adam Speaks, D.L. Chestnut describes the puzzle of why the nucleus of the atom holds together. Consider the dilemma of the nuclear physicist when he finally looks in utter amazement at the pattern he had now drawn of the oxygen nucleus. For here are eight positively charged protons closely associated together within the confines of this tiny nucleus. With them are eight neutrons, a total of 16 particles, eight positively charged and eight with no charge. Now, if you get confused in this, I'm going to make simple terms out of it at the end. Say amen. Earlier physicists had discovered that like charges of electricity and like magnetic poles repel each other, and unlike charges or magnetic poles attract each other. And the entire history of electrical phenomena and electrical equipment had been built upon these principles known as Columns law of electrostatic force and the law of magnetism. But what was wrong? What holds the nucleus together? If they are repelling each other, what holds the nucleus together? Why doesn't it fly apart? And therefore, why do not all atoms fly apart? Y'all starting to pick up what I'm putting down? These, these neutrons are flying all around inside and something's holding them together. Scientists can't figure it out. They should be flying all apart. Chestnut goes on to describe the experiments performed in the 1920s and 1930s that proved this law applied to atomic nuclei. Powerful atom smashers were used to fire protons into the nuclei of atoms. Those experiments also gave scientists an understanding of the incredibly powerful force that held protons together within the nucleus. He, do you hear what he's saying? There is an incredibly powerful force that's holding all of these neutrons and protons together. But they don't know what it is. There's more. Scientists, 
Scientists have dubbed that force the strong nuclear force. But have no explanation for why it exists. The physicist George Gamal, one of the founders of the Big Bang Theory of the origin of the universe, wrote. And by the way, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe God said it and bang, there it was. Same, I'm kidding, that's another one. But watch what he says. He said the fact that we live in a world in which practically every object is a potential nuclear explosive. Did you realize that your spouse is a potential nuclear explosive? Some of y'all already knew that, didn't you? They're made up of these atoms. Everything that you see, everything that you see is made up of this. And they should be flying apart. They should be exploding everything that you see. But some mysterious, strange force is holding them all together. Watch this. Look, the fact that we live in a world in which practically every object is a potential nuclear explosive without being blown to bits is due to the extreme difficulties that attend the starting of a nuclear reaction. Carl Darrow, a physicist at the Bell AT&T Laboratories, agrees. This is what he's saying. He said, do you grasp what this implies? It implies that all the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created. And if created, they should have blown up instantly. Yet here they are. Some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of this inhibition is also a secret. One thus far reserved by nature for herself. Well, that's where I'm going to disagree with him. It's not a secret. Because the word of God says. He holds it all together. By the word of his power. That's him. By him, all things. Guess what all things are made out of? Atoms. All things consist. If it wasn't for his power and his word, we would all explode. But he's holding it all together. Now, let me just lay this on you. This ain't really any notes, and I'm not going to charge you for this one. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when he's going to remove that. Because without that holding together, everything would be a nuclear explosive. The atoms would just fly apart. You know what the Bible says? There's coming a day when all the elements will what? Melt with fervent heat. Google it. Why is that not happening right now? Because he's holding it all together. And all God's people say it. I think because of that, he deserves to be first in rank. What do y'all say? Amen? All right. All right. Let's hurry. Let's hurry. Okay, we got time. We got time. We're good. We're good. Watch this. The reason for his authority, number one, the reason for his authority, number one, he he made it. Verse 17, not only did he make it, all of creation, number two, he, he maintains it. He keeps it all together. He keeps it all together. But we not only see the reason for his authority, we see B, the realm of his authority. The realm of his authority. Look what it says. In verse number 16, 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Now, watch what he says. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or... Now, that's, just, that's the same terminology. That's the same terminology that is used when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? But against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, wickedness in high places. Right? So what Paul is now saying is he is God or has authority over everything you can and everything you can't see. So now we see he says he has authority over the physical world and he has authority over the spiritual world. So that would include, watch this now, that would include all the angels. You remember what they were teaching? You remember what they were teaching? He's no better than the angels. He, he is like the angels. God created the angels. God created Jesus. But what is Paul saying? Uh-uh. Jesus created the angels. If he created all things and has authority over all things, he's got authority and he created everything you can and everything you that would include all spirits. That would include all principalities. That would include all angels. Every created being was created by him and for him. Somebody say amen. amen. Aren't you glad of that? That's the one we worship. That's the one we sing to. That's the one we follow. That's the one we obey. He is our king. He is our king. Now, number three. <clears throat> We see Jesus in relation not only to God, but Jesus in relation to creation, the world. But we see Jesus in relation to the church. Jesus in relation to the church. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Now the church is called a lot of things. You know, it's called uh, a flock. It's called a bride. But one of the most descriptive illustrations of, of what God calls the church is a body. It compares a church to a human body. And a human body has a head and has appendages, right? It has fingers and hands and arms and toes and all of that. He is the head. The head is where the direction is taken from. The head is where the life comes from. When, when a body dies, what do they do? What kind of scan do they do to see if there's still life in the body? A, a brain scan. All the life, all of the power comes from the head. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the head of the church. All right, now, write this down. Write this down. First, we see Christ is the authority. Christ is the authority. Christ is the authority. He's the head. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him, talking about Jesus, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, most of y'all, you've been in a Bible preaching and Bible teaching. This is, not, this is not new to you. It's like I'm preaching to the choir here. But you've got to understand, this is a huge topic. There are thousands and thousands of people who were killed and martyred by the Catholic Church because they taught that the Pope was the head of the church. But when they, when they backed and they bowed up to that and said, no, no, the scriptures say that Jesus is the head of the church. They lost their lives. They were burned at the stake. They were drowned. They were beheaded because of that. But let me tell you this. Jesus is the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. A denomination is not the head of the church. This church or that church, this person or that person. Jesus died for the church. Jesus built his own church. He is the head of the church. He is the authority. He is the director. He is in charge. He is the boss. Say amen. Listen, in this verse we find Christ is the authority in the church. B, Christ is the author of the church. The author or the source, the originator of the church. 
The Bible says in verse number 17, excuse me, verse 18, he is the head, the authority of the church, who is the, what's that word? Beginning. Everybody say that. Who is the Beginning. beginning? The word beginning there means the source, the source, Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, read it with me, I will build my church. Ladies and gentlemen, this is his church. We're a part of it. He's the owner. He's the authority. He's the boss. He's the only one that we're supposed to make happy. Rich, I tell you what, I just really wasn't much on them songs today. Well, we wasn't singing to you. Y'all with me? Now, I'm not dismissing there's some that I like and there's some that I don't like. But it's not about me. It's not about me. We get way hung up too much on preferences and styles. And we forget that worship is not about us. Worship is not about getting. Worship is about giving. It's about giving. Everywhere in the Bible when you see worship, they're giving him something. They worship in song. They worship him in praise. They worship him in offerings. They would bring something to him. That's what worship is. When you you celebrate somebody and you praise somebody, you're not sitting there, okay. I mean, that's like going to somebody's birthday party and expecting them to give you a present. Right? Why do we think we come to celebrate and worship him and give him honor and praise and then we get, we get offended and leave because we didn't get what we wanted? When did this ever become about us? We made it about us. But guess what? We got to quit that. We got to remember this is his church. He is the boss. He's the authority. He is the one who died for it. He's the one that bled for it. And by the way, he's the one coming back for it. Amen. Christ is the authority. He's the head of the church. Christ is the author. He's the beginning of the church. It started with him. The church was his idea. And by the way, let me say this. That means we should neglect it. You know, I've learned something, Travis, through the pandemic and all this, even in in training pastors, training pastors uh, through 24 to double and DMD, I'm going to quit begging people. I'm going to quit chasing people. You know, if you have to chase somebody, if you have to chase somebody, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with a love that's missing there. And, and, and listen, I don't, I, Tammy, Tammy don't have to chase me down to get us some sugar. Say amen. I am willing and ready. I got to chase her down sometime. But if you love something, you're not going to, you're not going to, nobody's going to have to beg you. Are y'all with me? And so here's what we got to learn. If this is his church and he said, don't neglect it. I think it's a big deal. Are y'all with me? So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. He's the author. He's the authority. C, Christ is the anointed He's the anointed. Here's that word prototokos again. Look what it says. Verse number, verse number 18. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the, what's that word? Firstborn. You remember that's the same word we had in verse 15. Same identical word, prototokos, which means first in rank, first in order, first in authority. So he is saying here, If he's the firstborn of what? The dead. Firstborn from the dead. That's not not meaning. Some people say, well, he's the first one that came from the dead. But we know that's not true. Because we know there were people that came back from the dead in the Old Testament. We know he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? We know the widow's son was raised from the dead. So, So that cannot be what he's meaning here in this statement. What he's meaning here is he's going to be the highest in rank and order of all those that come back from the dead. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, but I am alive forevermore. 
of all the ones, of all the ones who will come back and be resurrected, he will be supreme. He will be number one. He will be highest in rank, highest in authority. I love Philippians when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death and even the death of the cross. What did God do about that? Because of that, the Bible says God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Everyone's going to be raised back from the dead. And by the way, everybody needs to understand, there's going to, everybody's going to be resurrected. And they're going to stand before a judgment one day. And every single knee will bow before the firstborn, the first begotten of the dead. And that will be Jesus Christ. Now, why did he say all this stuff? Why did he give these descriptions and these explanations about all this? This is why. Write this down. Watch this. We saw Jesus in relation to God. Jesus in relation to the world. Jesus in relation to the church. Now watch this. Jesus in relation to everything. You know what we could have done? Just preach that point. I'm glad we kind of got descriptive about it and detailed about it. But all we needed was that point right there. Jesus in relation to everything. Well, where do we find that? Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, say it with me, that in, say it again, that in, he might have the preeminence. Now let's go back to the top of your notes. Flip, flip it back over, flip, flip your notes back over and look at the top. Preeminence, the fact of surpassing all others. Superiority. Let me read that again. The fact of surpassing all others. There is nothing more important or higher in rank than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's superior. And how many things? Everything. Everything. All things, the scripture says. No matter what. Now, why is Paul saying all this again? Remember, we got to remember what he's addressing and what he's dealing with. They're saying you got to have Jesus and. Jesus is no better than the angels. He's just an emanation from God. And Paul is saying, let me tell you, he is everything. There is nothing that can exist without him. He's holding it all together. So in all of our lives, in all of our lives, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, or if you're not a Christian yet and you're just seeking and trying to find answers, he has to be first. He's number one. God's expectation for Jesus in your life is for Jesus to be number one. Amen? What's the conclusion? What's the conclusion? Verse 19. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in, say with me, put Jesus right there. For it pleased the Father that in should all what? Do it. Now, what does that mean? Now, we obviously we know it means all of God is wrapped up in Jesus. 
He's the fullness of the Godhead. When you see Him, you see God. He told them, when you see me, you see the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? There's way more to it than that. In Him should dwell all fullness. Fullness. Now, how many of y'all like to eat like I do? You know what one of the most depressing things in the world is to sit down and eat and there's nothing left and you're hungry. I'm not sure that there is a more depressing moment in life unless you're through eating and there's nothing and you're broke. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that, but I promise you, I remember, I mean, man, this is a horrifying experience just come to mind. I was in Augusta, Georgia, and, and, and when I was in Bible college, man, you, you barely got by. I mean, you had a family, and you was trying to, you know, go to school at, at night and go to work in the day. And I remember, I remember, uh, I, had, me and, I was working with Russell Marsh, and Russell liked to try stuff. You know, I mean, he just liked to try all kind of stuff. I'm not that way. I, I, when I find something, I'm not, I don't want to get tricked. Say amen. I mean, I, 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 there's, a, there's a certain Italian restaurant that I go to. I've got the same. It's like eight years I've gone there now, and I've never got anything from the first thing I got. It's always the same. Tammy says, try something else. I said, what if I don't like it? We only come here when we get a gift card. And if I don't like it, i got to wait to the next gift card. Amen. I'm not getting nothing else. And, and I remember he said, hey, there's this German restaurant. Let's go try this German food. And I'm like, no, man. And that was before I've expanded my horizons to Mexican and Chinese food. It was all American cheeseburgers and French fries. Say amen. amen. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I know how much money I got. No, no. He said, come on, man. You're going to like it. So we went into this restaurant, and I, I didn't know what was on. He, he told me what to order, I ordered, and it took every dime I had. And I ate everything. Every, I licked the porcelain off the plate. <laughs> and I was still hungry, and it dawned on me, I'm broke and I can't get nothing else. That was depressing. <laughs> Does it, can anybody relate to what I'm saying? But I'm not sure that there's a more pleasing experience that when you kick back do I have a witness Greece? come on now you can't eat no more because you are full I'm going somewhere I got a minute and 15 seconds to explain this you're satisfied you're full Jesus said, I've spoken these things unto you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be. You see what he's saying? Paul saying, it pleased the Father. That fullness means, can we use the word satisfied? Full, you're satisfied. You don't want nothing else. And what Paul is saying, this is way more than he's God. He's saying that in Jesus, you have everything. In Jesus, you're going to find fulfillment. When you have Jesus, I mean when you really have Jesus and understand what you have, you ain't going to want nothing else. Amen? That's good stuff, ain't it? we got to know him. And the more we know him, the more we're going to love him, and the more we're going to be satisfied in him. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand on our feet. Quick, everybody stand and look at the clock. Look at the clock. It's white. It ain't red. 18 seconds. 18 seconds. We did it. We did it. Listen, he's everything. I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care if you call yourself a Baptist, Pentecostal, 
Presbyterian, Catholic. I, I, I don't care what you, because none of that's going to matter. When we get to the judgment, they're going to say, what is your relationship to Jesus? They're not going to say what was on the sign of the church you went to. They're going to say, did you have Jesus? And all God's people say it. I hope you know it. If you don't, we can sure show you how to know it. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It didn't say in church, but in Christ. 